I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. They might talk about human music, film, books, football, and box sets, exercise, and maybe even food. And sports, politics and health, sometimes well-being too. On the life with Brian. On the life with Brian. Hello, welcome, welcome. How are you? Um, well, we're back, and since we last convened, we've enjoyed a record-breaking heat wave, the demise of Boris Johnson the back at the Christie trial, and England have finally won something. So here we are, back on Life with Brian, with myself, Mark, uh, Matthew, and of course, Manchester United and Celtic footballing icon-turned-raconteur, Brian McClare. Um, hi guys, uh, what did you get up to this summer? Well, I don't think anyone's particularly interested in what I got up to this summer. Um, <laughs> Brian, Brian, you've been out and about, haven't you, on your, uh, your travels? Yeah, I was just saying, I've been I've had, uh, fortunate enough to spend some time in Warren uh, Point in Northern Ireland, um, uh, the, for the benefit of the Kevin Bell Trust, which um, is a charity that um, helps up people who are very unfortunate to lose a relative abroad. Um, something that, that, that we did um, another thing before, Matthew with her, and Mark with her first live podcast, and uh, it's um, great to be able to. Uh, to be participating that was a, a Celtic Legends game which allowed me to to rekindle some old relationships particularly with um, um, Danny McGrain and uh, Simon Donnelly and various other people that was um, um, Roy Aitken as well which uh, uh, I was just mentioning there that, that I was fortunate to spend four years at Celtic Mark and, I, and it reminded me that I think I spent the whole four years out off the training pitch and sometimes on the training pitch, particularly wrestling, just laughing at uh, these characters, you know, and uh, it was great because they were, it's one of the few I've been to recently where they've, they've been, uh, I've been the kind of elder statesman in, in a lot of these um, adventures, but Danny been there and, and Roy, yeah. Uh, would put me back in my, my place as a 
a small boy, you know, which was uh, it was an absolute joy. I would I would have uh, I would have paid a fortune to. In fact, I said to one of the guys there uh, that if you're going to organise any events and uh, that. Um, if Danny was, I want Danny to be involved, and I would actually pay to come along and be part of it. You know, it was I had so much fun. Do you still feel that sense of almost being starstruck? I mean, this is coming uh, from I, someone I, who who was doing a podcast I, with his childhood hero. Is it still I, the case for you? I is I yeah. The very first game I went to at Celtic Park, um, I think it was in something like seventy two, seventy three, first game of the season, and. Um, Danny played and he scored and I think he only scored four goals or some five goals in his whole career, you know. And then to, to then ten years later to be in the same dressing room as him um was uh, was an incredible thing and then periodically meeting up with him and says I haven't seen him for a while. One of the one of the things that I'd heard about his participation in the event was he was actually looking forward to see me. <laughs> I'm not quite sure he would be have the same view. We got all back on Sunday night, right enough, but um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. He recognised you. <laughs> well, actually, um, <laughs> when I was sitting there at the table and they uh, did a meet and greet before the game, and, uh, and uh, Roy Aitken, he travelled from, he lives in Yorkshire now, so he travelled from Yorkshire, and yeah, I could hear him chunting away in, in earshot, and he was going, ah, was Brian McLean not making it? Is he not come? You know, and then uh, and I looked up and he went, he said, I'd have, I'd have walked straight past you. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, well, this is not out of choice or out of the fact he didn't recognise me. It's well, maybe both, you know, so. Uh, well, as ever, we've got a special guest on this episode, uh, and he is the sports presenter's sports presenter. Um, for the past 25 years, he's hosted everything you care to mention on BBC TV and radio, ITV, BT Sport and more. Uh, we are delighted to be joined by a real pro, Mark Pugach. Hi, Mark. How was your summer? Thank you for having me. Um, it was it was great. Yes, uh, I mean I'm I'm a cricket nut, so it was lovely just to, particularly early in the summer, the Test matches. I was just enthralled by the way that England were playing and some of Johnny Bairstow's innings. So I loved that. I worked at Wimbledon. Um, I just did. I live out in the country. I really just enjoyed a little bit of downtime, walking my dogs. My my kids are a bit big now. You know they're in their twenties. They don't they don't need mum and dad so much. So I just really enjoyed. The fact that we had such good weather, um, and as you all know, it comes around soon again, and we're, we're off and running again, and we've got such a weird season because of the World Cup, so it's even particularly concertina this one. So just enjoyed a little bit of downtime, just enjoyed getting away from it all, because even even on the media side of it, the football is non-stop. It's absolutely, it's so intense, and actually one of the things I've always tried to do and always enjoyed doing is is getting away from it. I'm not I'm not one of those people who consumes football 24-7. That would, it would drive me nuts. I'm quite good at getting away from it. Even during the season, so particularly when the sun was out, we didn't have to worry about it. I really, you know, I had a good time. You, you seem to consume football pretty much twenty four seven, Brian. <laughs> From what I work out, you you, you tend to just. Uh, love it. I mean, I, I know I've told you before. I tend to get a bit sick and tired of it. Yeah, I think it's something that. Uh, well, I, I don't. I don't. I mean, there is there's, there's certain other things that are of interest to me, but certainly the season starts, and I'm pretty being pretty decent about kind of ignoring. The pre-season stuff because it's there's no kind of real for me um, no well you get to see maybe one or two new players and different things but there's not it's not really a connection to what's going to happen or transpire when the season actually kicks off uh, certainly from a Manchester United point of view um, 
and I've enjoyed the last I've enjoyed the last four games a lot more than I enjoyed the first two games uh, which is a hell of a transformation really you know so but no I, I, I get the challenge it's just lots of other things and like um, like Mark was talking about I like, I like the cricket as well I mean I've always as far as I can remember my, my I um I was interested in reading a few things about you, Mark. I, I went to a game and I can't remember exactly which year it was. And India must have been playing England in the seventies, the early seventies. Uh, and uh, Bisham Berry's time, the, the the spin bowler. Yeah. Uh, and they played a game against a, a local team in Coatbridge, which is. In Lanarkshire, just outside, uh, just to the um, east of Glasgow, they came there and played a club side called Impelia. And I remember going to there uh, to what I went with my cousin. We went there, and there was no play earlier on because, as uh, you may imagine, in the west of Scotland, the weather isn't as pleasant as it might be in the Cotswolds where you reside. <laughs> there was no play, there was no play in the morning, it was a one day game, there was no play in the morning. And I remember looking in the, the pavilion and seeing what they were having for, for lunch. And they were having prawn cocktails. And I had never seen a prawn cocktail, you know what I mean? Was, prawns didn't exist in Scotland in the 70s. <laughs> Certainly not in a marabout sort, you know. And there, but there was some play in the afternoon. And, and, and I was just kind of smitten by that. I mean, I love playing football. I mean, there wasn't a lot. And we did the same thing, maybe like sort of things you did. We would go out in the streets when it was uh, Wimbledon and we'd hit tennis balls around. No idea where the tennis balls came from. No idea where the tennis rackets came from. There was no no nets or such. So, and then we'd go down the park with somebody would, from somewhere would produce a cricket bat and sometimes some stun, stumps and we'd play with a tennis ball. Uh, so... I've been all fascinated. And in golf, the same. Somebody would have a seven iron, we'd go down the park and we'd knock a, a ball around. Yeah. No so idea where any of that stuff came from. So if you'd but, been born about 50 years earlier, Brian, you could have been one of those sort of sporting gentlemen that played football in the winter and uh, yeah. in summer. Yeah, I was just um, thinking that the other day. Yeah, but no, I, didn't, we didn't, I didn't play any of those. Well, I didn't play cricket. Uh, any kind of kind of standard apart from those games in the park, you know. Not like yourself being the captain of a college team, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's because I had the biggest mouth. That's The thing. funny thing about cricket is, it, it in terms of when it comes to captaincy, it's quite, I mean, obviously you've got to be good enough to get in the team, but it's not like the best player is captain. It's never like that at all because cricket's, you know, it's quite a subtle game because it's, it's the ultimate individual game wrapped up in the ultimate team game in a well, in a way, isn't it? Because if you're batting, you know, it's mano a mano. It's you against the bowler. You're not going to get me out. You know, I want to stay in and score runs. But of course, that helps the team as well. So there's that really, I, I've always been really fascinated by the, the whole dynamics and the whole psychology of cricket. And I worked for many years with Jeffrey Boycott. And, it, and it's really, I mean, genuinely fascinating working with him. And you sort of think, oh, England are doing well, aren't you? And you, you would have all heard this if you ever listened to on the on the radio he would always say you've got to add two wickets to the score and then you really get an idea of it so if you're England 120 for two you go well England are doing well but he'd say well actually they could be 120 for four in a minute and they're not doing so well so do you know what I mean more than probably more than any other sport the psychology moves so quickly I mean it moves quickly in football if you're 2-0 down or 2-0 up and you know it becomes 2-1 you can feel a sense can't you and you know in the crowd and in a team or whatever but in cricket that that dynamic moves really fast and that that 
That always really that that still really fascinates me. I, lo- I love that about that. And it's um, I just played this weekend with my uh, wife's family. They have a cricket match every summer. We go to a different part of the country. We're in Cumbria this weekend. It's incredibly gregarious cricket. There's no actually other sport like it. I mean, football's brilliant. You've been in dressing rooms all your life, Brian. And Matthew, Mark, and I have played football. But, you know, you're there for a couple of hours with your mates, pub and then home. Cricket, you know, you can be there for four, five, six, seven hours with them. Yeah. You really get to understand people and know people. And it's, um, it is, in my view, is completely unique in that sense. You just mentioned there something about Jeffrey Boycott, who I believe you came across as a young man when you were taking a gap year in Australia. And uh, what I was thinking about then was, uh, could you tell us what type of tea you actually prefer? (laughs) I want to say, I want to say Yorkshire tea at the Sydney cricket ground. It was, it was the funniest thing of all was, was with my mate Rob, who's still a great friend of mine. And we were, we were waiters in the, in this particular dining room in Sydney. And uh, he came in the first day and Rob went, that's Jeffrey Boycott. I went, I know it's Jeffrey Boycott. But we, you know, we were 18, 19, completely starstruck. Anyway, by about day three, I thought, I've got to, I've got to ask him a question. So I said, um, I said, Jeffrey, uh, you know, here's your cup of tea. I said, Jeffrey, did you ever make any runs here at this ground at the SCG? And he was off. He was absolutely off. Runs, runs. And, you know, he told me how many he made in 1970-71 when England won the Ashes. You know, how he was out in both innings. And actually, when I worked with him, when, when it used to rain, we, we, we actually did that as a bit of a joke. Jeffrey played, I don't know, 110 test matches. And I'd actually say to him, because obviously with quick info, uh, you know, on the internet, it's easy to do. You could actually say, right, Jeffrey, you mentioned India there, Brian. Right, Jeffrey, uh, India, the Oval, 1973, how many do you get? And, and he, he, would know, he would not only would he know... He would know how he was out. And, of course, if he was LBW, he'd tell you that it was wrong and that the umpire had got it wrong. I mean, it's just ex- extraordinary. You were talking about Danny McGrain and, you know, and, and, and Matthew, you talk about Brian being one of your heroes. You know, in my job, you know, you grow up watching these people and then a lot of time you go and work with them. And it's, you know, that's quite a, I mean, it's a great privilege. And it's obviously a bit of a mental leap which you have to get over quite quickly, you know, you know, don't stand there with your mouth wide open because you're talking to, you know, whoever it is, Glenn Hoddle or Jeffrey Boycott or somebody like that. Do you know what I mean? You, or Clive Woodward, you, you know, you need to, you need quite quickly to get over that and to, and to have a, some sort you know, to have a professional relationship with them. I'm just thinking though, did, did you working with Boycott at an early stage in your career sort of stand you in a good stead? Cause I mean, I was going to make a, a joke about it, but I mean, you've worked with an increasing number of, crotchety, outspoken pundit down the time. I mean, is that... Who are you of, Matthew? Well, is, is that the secret to keeping the likes of Roy Keane, Gary Neville, Chris Sutton, Robbie Savage, Ian Wright in line? Is it, is it... I think, I think, I think, funnily enough, uh, because uh, this won't surprise you, and it won't surprise Brian in particular, if, if there's... If, if you said to me, what is the one question that you are always asked... 85% of the time, it is, what's Roy Keane really like? I mean, literally the number one question. And I understand it. I would say, I mean, Brian, you, you know, you know, Roy, you know, Roy well. He, uh, what I think Roy demands of me, which is what I want anyway, is prof- I think what he demands of anybody he works with is professionalism. I think it's a simple, I, that's the best way I could sum it up. And, you know, when I watched him play for Manchester United and the way that, you know, he would react and I've talked to people who play with him and play with him for Ireland as well. That's always what comes across, you know, be, prof, you know, just, you know, professionalism, what it is, is what he wants. I mean, he's incredibly funny. 
he is one of the funniest men I've ever met, Roy. I mean, he has got the most brilliant, dry sense of humour. But you know, I'm not. I, I, I think we. I think we project the image of the crotchety old man, don't we? Most of the time. And of course, the last three or four years, it's been easy because Man United have been lousy by their high standards. I mean, he wasn't very crotchety after the game on Sunday, was he? He was going. You know, there's a, there's a there's a bit of there's a bit of a buzz back about Old Trafford. I expect Manchester United to get in the top four. So I think it's. It's it's easy for people to go. Oh, is he is he really terrifying? Is he frightening? Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. In the same way that he would give you the evil stare if you gave you a bad pass. If I asked a really damn stupid question, he'd give me that look. But he wouldn't be alone in giving me that look, and um, he'd be completely justified in giving me that look. Well, you um, you attempted during your broadcast just to ask him a daft question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't need mean to think about it, Brad. A couple of times I have done. A couple of times I have done. But you know, it's like all these things. If you want to, if you want to go, I'm not saying if you want to go somewhere controversial, but I always say, like, like in, during the Euros, we did the whole Patrick Vieira um, hybrid tunnel thing. You know, and clearly we weren't going to just go on air and go, by the way, we've got Patrick and, and Gary, you know, we've got Gary, Patrick and Roy here, but we're going to go to the tunnel at Highbury in 2005. Clearly you talk about it beforehand with them because that's just disrespectful apart from anything else. And it could be appalling television if they all, you know, refuse to talk. So, you know, if you, you could always say, you know, you always do say, we are going to talk about this. You know, you, everyone happy with that? Everyone got that? Because, you know, there's a level of respect there as well. But, yeah, they, I think sometimes the daft question just comes out. Gordon Stracker was very, very good at that. I mean, if you asked him a stupid question, he'd leave you nowhere. And, and, and I used to think, fair enough, fair enough. Don't ask a stupid question, Mark. That's the, that's the response you get. That's, uh, that's all part of the thing about mm. I've been involved in yeah. dressing rooms, you know, and I'm, I'm sure when you've been involved in cricket dressing rooms and you have, it's the, the, the main, certainly for me, the, the sort of, if anybody asks me now, says, do you ever miss playing football? I said, I don't particularly yeah. miss playing football. But I'm, I, would, I would miss the dressing room. Yeah. I would miss those relationships and miss those um, situations that can occur and that quick as sharp as yeah, yeah. because it's been a practice thing, you know. I mean, I, when I'm with Danny McGrain and Roy Aitken last week that it's like that, you know. Yeah. You know, Dan is 70 odd now, but it's still, you know, he just, he could just say, and he'd, he'd just come back with something was, and it would just reduce you to, a, oh yeah, I'm back to the, being a 19 year old boy again, you know. And, and Brian, that's the thing I realised quite soon in my career. And I would say to people like you, well, you know, do you miss playing the FA Cup final, miss winning the league? And do you go home and stare at your medals every night? And everybody, to a man or woman, say to me, no. Uh, but I miss what you've just described. I miss a Tuesday morning and the crackle of a changing room and the Mickey taking and the fact that you had to, you know, you had to grow up quickly, didn't you? Yeah. And you had to fight your corner. You know, um, it, it, it was a, it was a, it was a school of hard knocks. And I know funny is that you look at things like the Michael Jordan documentary and then people are sort of saying to me, Oh, do you think that's bullying or whatever? I go, well, mm-hmm. you know, that, 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 you know, you go down a, a different Avenue there, but you, <laughs> you talk to all the people who won all those championships in America with him. Would they think it's bullying? I, don't, I think they'd say they wouldn't have won the medals without him. And I think it's the same yeah. kind of thing with regards to Michael Jordan. I mean, you're talking about what you yeah. see in Roy Keane now and that yeah. comes, it came certainly in my experience. It comes from in that period of time started and was, Propagated and prolonged by Alex Ferguson because he put demands on you, mm. and he demanded, yeah. he's demanding sort of things that we thought was uh, were impossible. You know, standards of, yeah. of not just playing football, but how you behaved as a person. Yeah, 
and yeah. uh, and and that and, and become it becomes entrenched in you. Mm. So little daft little things now, but people's talking about, for example, people talk about Fergie timing in that game at uh, Old Trafford in the seven or eight minutes of mm. of um, injury time. But Fergie time was never that for us. Fergie time was if he told you, you had to be somewhere, you had to be there. The latest was five minutes before he had told yeah. you. So. Even now, I, I, I do my best, and I'm pretty decent at it. I've been early. There was something I can vouch for. If Brian says he'll meet you in the pub at twelve o'clock, yeah. he'll be there at oh, eleven sorry. o'clock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you know, I've got I've got three kids as well, Mark, and it bemuses a few years older than yours. But it bemuses me now that if they say to me, uh, "We'll be we'll, we'll meet you at twelve o'clock," what they actually mean is half past twelve. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm there at ten to twelve, and I'm going. I'm looking at watching. I'm thinking I'm actually good because yeah. there's, there's a point where you think, "Fuck it, I'm not waiting any longer." Yeah, yeah. You know? It's like I'm fifteen minutes later, you know. And I'm like, I'm not fucking waiting any longer for them. I don't care what they've been doing. And and they'll bowl in like, well, well, that's what we all do. What do you mean you all do? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we all do in our crowd. You know, they say that. Yeah. I mean, one o'clock means half past one. It's not fucking used to mean that, you know. Like, do you was he was he keen on the the person as much as the footballer then? I mean, I think well, that's increasingly the case, isn't he? It's increasingly well, the case today. Well, here's the thing for you, Mark. That, that Alex Ferguson would say he thought you had to be a special person to be a Manchester United player, and and that involved lots of different things. Of course, there was the, the idea that you were capable of uh, fitting into his plans of what a football team would be, and hopefully improving within that football team. But there was also the idea of, and nothing's ever perfect, we know that, because you can look through various different stories of different things that happen, but the idea that you uh, will live your life as close to being as professional as possible mm. uh, out with the times that he's there to be um, poking you in the chest and all that kind of thing. But but also part of the thing then, it was in, because of, he had his own social media in that, mm. Everybody told him. Yeah. No, so ABC, so federal players were up to anything, whatever they'd been in public somewhere, that the public, which were pretty decent at judging whether you should be there or not, he would know by the time you got to training the next day where you'd been, you know, and there was always a kind of thing about, um, you know, you the manager once, you're like, what the fuck, what was I doing? You know, you'd always go to that, what was I doing yesterday or last night, you know? And he would he would have a version of it, not necessarily what happened, but he have a version of it. And he would explain about what his expectations were. And he's, as you know, you've, you've been involved with him many times in his forthright manner. So you were left um, with clarity with regards to what it was. And within all those bits and pieces is that, he had um, your life really in the palm of his hand. You know, he, most people, certainly my team time, didn't want to leave Manchester United, particularly, particularly when he started more and more successful. And it was so easy for that to finish like that, you know. Yeah. Probably the most, kind of, well, there's two, isn't there? I mean, Roy and Paul Yapstam are probably the most prominent sort of situation. Certainly, and Gordon as well. Gordon Strachan was another one for me. I love Gordon. You know, he, no, he is a fantastic football player, funny, funny man. Uh, and and one day he's there, the next day he, he, he was gone. Jim Lane is another one, you know. Whatever it was, he felt that that was the right decision for the football club and for winning games. And, and it's easy enough to understand when you're looking back, but at the time it can be perplexing and scary, you know. 
Well, remember the summer of uh, Hughes, Ince and Kanchelskis, wasn't it? And you're thinking, what is he doing? But he knew the class of 92 were ready, didn't he? <laughs> and they were ready. Yeah, but you can, you can look yeah. back on that and the same kind of thing yeah. and say, well, why would you? Because it was, yeah. there's... But but he was given information that he, they made decisions on. Um, Kinsjelskis, he'd fallen out with them, so he was quite happy for him to go, yeah. to go. Sparky. There was some kind of particular thing. Um, as, a, as a kid, Sparky was a Chelsea fan, so he decided that he would go to Chelsea. The, the one that, that's a great benefit to, to Gary Neville, who you've worked with and you might not work with, was Paul Parker was actually offered a contract. And had Paul Parker signed, Gary probably wouldn't have got the opportunity he did. But Paul Parker stalled for long enough that the manager said, oh, forget it, you know, because he'd been given so much good information about Gary and, and they had what, what made Gary a football player. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then as I said, they, they all had the opportunity to go in and and, uh, and and they took it, you know. All the thing is, if you ask any football player, ask any cricket, any team involved in a team game, what gave you your chance and there'll be some particular incident <clears throat> the, the person who played in your position was ill injured suspended out of favour uh, and you went in and, and you took the opportunity you know I mean I think one of the ones in the most recent times or certain most relative recent times is Marcus Raskin gets a chance to be involved in Van Gaal's team mm-hmm. because there was nobody else fit yeah in the Europa League, wasn't it? Yeah. It's the only yeah. one that's yeah. available yeah. in terms of pecking order um, and, and probably all-round character and ability. Uh, Will Keane, who's now playing at uh, Wigan, was was quite a com- comfortably ahead of Marcus, but he, he he got injured in training the day before the game. And the only one that was left was, was Marcus. And, uh, yeah. and you have to smell that, don't you, then, as a player? You have to go... This, you, know, you have to be confident you, enough. I mean, this is it. Uh, yeah. Paul McGinnis, who's the youth team coach at the time, is confident enough to say he won't let you down. You know, you're not going to say that he's going to be wonderful, fantastic for you, but he won't let you down, you know. And yeah. and, that, and that's where it comes from. You, know, you can ask any sportsman in the world and team, there'll be an opportunity that came up for whatever reason it was. And they chose and they became successful because of that. Mm. I just wanted to ask you, Brian, on a sort of talking about opportunities and sportsmen and, and things and, and going back to what you were talking about with um, broadcasters. I mean, in a serious question, was it ever an option for you to go into punditry or, or broadcasting? Because, you know, I work with you on a couple of things now. And I remember when we were in America, you did you did a bit of punditry or a bit of analysis and, and people that listen to you, you know, and I know having watched games with you, you know, I have a lot about the game. Uh, was, it, was it ever something that you thought I can talk about this and people will be interested? No, and I wasn't. I wasn't interested in the cause of probably what has happened in, in the past with uh, ex-professional people being involved in in commentating a sport. And I thought maybe it's got a lot better now. Uh, but I just thought in football it was that kind of thing where uh, maybe early on in the seventies and eighties when I was playing in the nineties that you were there and you had to be critical. I maybe don't think there's so much of that because. There's such a the, the game and so sort of the coverage of the game is so elongated now that you can have lots of different aspects about it. There'll be of interest to the person who's watching from the other side. And I always thought that, that a lot of the criticism from ex players and ex pros was just I, I felt it was a lot bit of bitterness, you know, just because well, not, they don't want them to be as good and we don't want it. And and I and I thought I can't I can't do that, you know. I, 
I didn't want to be in a situation where I'm, I'm being critical of people who are are doing their best. I mean, you're, you're not all, always going to be good. Sometimes we've all had shite days and for whatever reason, you know, you just can't do the right thing. But to have someone else there turn around and, and who's already clearly been in the situation with that in their own career, not be able to, to, to use that, uh, I, I just... I just kind of regaled against being involved in there and that kind of thing. And I, I was, I'm grateful for what I did because I played football. I wanted to be a teacher. I there wasn't going to be a football player. And I, and I taught football in regards to I was coaching for such a long period of time. So it's never been a kind of thing that I've, I've wanted to do. And, it, uh, and then, and like anything else, the, the, the people are involved in it, they get better at it as they go along and doing what they're doing in, in, in football now. And in, I mean, I've always loved cricket because I think that the, they've, be, that they've been allowed the time to be able to talk about it because test matches last so long. Yeah. And when it's raining, they've got to talk yeah. about it. And I've always loved listening to. And there are so many nuances of it which we really don't, which we really don't know in cricket. I mean, when I'm when I'm working, actually, I often say to the to the to to the people I'm working with, you know, tell you know, in the first half, if we're chatting, I'm chatting with Roy or or Wrighty or you know, Karen Carney's working with us as well. I'd always say, God, tell me. You know, tell me what I'm missing here. Tell me, you know, technically what's going on there, because you know you can. You, it's it's that's how I learn, and then I can I can then be the conduit to the viewer about how, how they learn. I mean, it's interesting what you say, Brian, because there's so much airtime now, isn't it? And you know, whatever it is that law that well, whosoever law it is, law that you know expands to fill all the the jobs that you need to to do. Uh, I. There, there are sometimes I think, gosh, we we we're talking about one match for so long here. Is there that much? Is there really that much to talk about? But but it has been an education the last fifteen years, hasn't it? It really has been. Oh, I mean, because because they're if they're allowed to expand yeah. upon the experiences that like you said, yeah. because the coverage starts so early, yeah. it then goes through the game. There's half time, there's the second half, and then there's the. There's the the end part yeah. where you go over the whole kind of thing, and then and then, then the days and days after that, depending on what what game it is, yeah. you know, and, and and then then quite quickly because the way it is now is that you've 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 got another game in three or four days, and then yeah. another game in three or four days, and, then, and that. I know you said about then there's going to be another because of the the, the daft situation we're going to have this season with the, with the World Cup, but. That it is football all the time, isn't it? Somebody said to me that you could watch football every single day. Yeah. Like that. They've been like, oh, that would be brilliant. You know, watch yeah. it. it doesn't matter who it is. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is because there's, there's still football. And, I mean, it's amazing to think that we grew up with two live matches a year, three if you're lucky, cup well, final. Was a, That's why I loved it when it went to a replay because that was another live match. The, uh, we had we had an England match, but we had England Scotland, didn't we? Home nations, all the home nations, yeah, home nations. Yes, they were. And the cup yeah. finals were live. Yeah, and that was it. That was it. Yeah. And in Scotland, you had highlights on a Saturday night of both Scottish and English football, yeah. and on a Sunday afternoon. So Saturday night it was a BBC, yeah. and Sunday afternoon it was ITV, yeah. and you would have you'd have bits and pieces of. It would start all the Scottish, mainly Scottish football, but there would be some highlights of the English first division or the FA Cup. I remember. And then oh, sorry, Matthew, I, I remember a game England played Brazil at Wembley. It finished one-one. 
Kevin Keegan scored. This is probably, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s. And I remember at halftime, my dad saying, it was live, my dad saying to me, you look a bit down and depressed. I mean, what is this great? You're watching England. I went, I know, but there's only one half left. <laughs> and, like and, and, you know, and there's only one half left, and then that'll be it till the cup final. So that was why I was really quite blue, because I thought, there's only another 45 minutes. And then I've got to wait another three months. You know, we didn't have the League Cup final live for years, not till the mid-1980s. I mean, it was, you, you, I say it to my son now, he's a football man, he's 24, and he was like, you, I said to him, you, you would have watched more live football yesterday than I watched in a season. I mean, it's... Do you think that's why the role of the co-commentator, analyst, or pundit, whatever you want to call them, has changed now? Because I watch a lot of old games on YouTube, and, and you will remember, the pundit or the analyst, whether they were in the, on the gantry or in the studio, very, said very little, whether it was Jimmy Greaves, Jimmy Hill. I mean, I know Jimmy Hill was yeah, yeah. revolutionary in what he did, but if you watch back an old game, they had... I mean, the classic was that, 89... Decided at Anfield, Arsenal, Liverpool in 89. <laughs> the game started on TV. And I mean, I think the game kicked off at 8.15 that night, 8.10. Yeah. The game, the, t- the coverage started at five past eight. Bobby Robson was there with Elton Wellsby. They, they said a few words before, a few words at half time, and then barely yeah. saw anything after the match, let alone the presentation. And you think, yeah, that is. They went to the news at 10, didn't they? They had to, to get the off there. So, uh, yeah, the I mean, can you imagine I telling know. that to somebody? But I, again, I assume that's, that's why the role of the analyst, the pundit, has changed because yeah. you've got this airtime, you've got this coverage. Yeah. And as much as I love people like Greavesy and Jimmy Hill and those kind of characters, I don't think they would have, I suppose they would have adapted, but they, I think they would have adapted, Matthew, yeah. to be fair. I think they would have adapted, but you know, we've got, we have, we have got the air time now. You know, you know, um, the story about that game is that um, Bobby Robson wasn't supposed to be the summarizer, but whoever it was, and I've never found out who let ITV down, like at lunchtime when I, I can't come. And so ITV are running around for, you know, the, one of the biggest matches in the history of the old first division. And we haven't got a summarizer. And so they basically had to beg Bobby Robson, who they knew would be going can you please come up into the yeah. studio can you imagine that him, now they, I mean, said, they said to him you're only going to have to fill about five minutes so yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I mean I do uh, it, it, it is hilarious when you watch it back that they came off air literally Tony Adams lists a trophy bang off to the news um, where of course the lead story on the news is Arsenal have won the yeah. title I mean it's it's uh, you know I don't I, I'm <laughs> it's better today because there's more football to watch Every, you know, it's I love watching those old big matches, though. ITV4 do them. I mean, they are. The first thing you laugh at is the pitch. You know, then you laugh at the centre-half turning around and booting it back to the goalkeeper for about half an hour when they're 1-0 up. I mean, it's great. It is great to to watch um, just because it just reminds you of what it used to be like. And probably, you know, well, kids in our 20s will be saying the same thing in 30 years' time to look back at football it is today. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, Brian, we were talking about pundits there, uh, and uh, obviously your uh, probably the team most high-profile uh, one to be Roy Keane and Gary Neville. Uh, what are your thoughts about their on-screen personas? Uh, are they are they just being themselves, or or do you think that they're playing yeah. the role of what they've become? Um, over the last uh, sort of ten or fifteen years, I don't. I don't think you can. I don't think you can go on and talk about something that you know about and and play act. I think that that it may be more of an exaggerated version of themselves, but it is them. That's the exactly the same thing you would expect. Uh, certainly, particularly from Roy, if he walked into the dressing room in the morning uh, and was involved in whatever, you'd expect him to come out with or someone as withering as saying, "Well." You know, you you yesterday or you this or, or that, and and from so there was a, there's a there's a great story that from there was the year after I left United when uh, Steve McLaren got the the assistant manager's job, and uh, the first game they played, uh, he was in first game he was involved in United won at home one now and he after Fergie had said his thing, they said. Allowed sometimes he would allow his assistants to have their view of whatever it was, and Steve was onto this kind of thing. All these positive things, how good they were, and all that kind of thing. And when he finished, it kind of calmed down. Roy went up to me and said, uh, "Steve, there's one thing that uh, we expect of the coaches and the manager is honesty. We were shit. We know we were shit. You know we were shit." The managers were shit. So don't be fucking kidding us on. You should tell us we were shit. All right? And then went into the shower. And I think that was one of the, the a good thing for Steve to then work on after that was like, because he'd never been in that, well, I mean, played football, he'd been involved in different coaches, but he'd never been in that kind of scenario where the players would actually admit that they knew that that wasn't the standard. They'd won one nil. But it wasn't the standard that was expected, and that they knew that they could achieve, and they weren't having some guy up there. I respect the way they came from bullshitting them. Yeah, yeah. he being the captain was the one to say, "Well, this is how it is. If you're going to be successful, yeah, don't lie." I mean, Mark, can I answer that from my point of view? Because people often say to me, "Oh, is he? You know, particularly Roy, is he a bit of a caricature? Is he playing up?" And and you know, Bran, who knows him extremely well from playing with him, I'm obviously from working with him. I would say, why? why why would he do that? I mean, what, what, what's, what's in it for, for Roy Keane in particular to be a caricature? I mean, you know, what, why, why would he bother? You know, what, what, why would he make all the effort? That's, you know, that's just the way he is. And if you watch a game with him, the way that he instinctively reacts to it. I mean, Brian, I don't know what your, your relationship with Roy was like when it comes to goalkeepers, but it's hilarious. Goalkeeper makes a save, and I just go, what's a good save? And Roy looks at me and he goes, he's got gloves on, hasn't he? I mean, literally, I think he would just about say that Gordon Banks' save from Pele was probably a decent save. <laughs> That's about he it. Again, it. He's but this is going back to this sort of professionalism thing. These are the standards. These are the standards. This is, you know, this is what I expect for them to do. So he's, for me, I, I, I don't get this whole, oh, it's a caricature. He's playing up Mr. Angry. As I say, I think it's a reflection 
when it comes to, and I don't work with them obviously on uh, on the Premier League, I work with them on the FA Cup in England, but when, this is probably a reflection when people see him on Sky with what's happened to Manchester United in the last four years. Hence, as I say, after the Arsenal game, it was, it was different, wasn't it? Because it's just reflecting what he's seen on the pitch. What I would like to know, Mark, is uh, who's been your most awkward interviewee uh, and is the answer or was the answer ever Brian McClare? <laughs> <laughs> Clive no, Tilsley said it was. I, no, I interviewed, I only interviewed Sir Alex twice, really. And one of them, he did go absolutely mad with me. And I did, that was completely fine. I had no problem with it. And I, and I knew that he would because he had, it was the game, you'd left Brian. It was the game where he dropped David Beckham because Beckham didn't go to training because he said that Victoria was ill, but Victoria was spotted shopping in the Arndale Centre. You remember, it was about 2000, 2001. So the Man United won at Lee. They, they went to Lee, who were the, pretty much their closest rivals, and they won the game 1-0. And after I was doing the interview for Match Today, and I remember the producer saying to me, you're going to have to go down this road. I went, that's fine. Uh, you know, and, you know, and, he, and he wasn't happy at all, and, and, and it all went off. But, that's not, but to be fair, Mark, that's not awkward. So you, know, you just know that it's mm. cut. You know, you know a storm is coming. You know a storm is coming, and you've um, you know you've just got to, in a way, stand there and take it. I remember, I remember actually afterwards. <laughs> I remember speaking to my mum who didn't like football at all. She went, "How was today, dear?" And I went, "Well, you know, I got shouted at by Sir Alex Ferguson." And she said, "Just, just next time it happens, dear, just imagine them sitting on the loo." <laughs> that was my mum's. That was my mum's advice to approach to any awkward interviewee. Uh, well, I said to him, Gordon Strachan could be really awkward. He could be really awkward, but I never minded um, Michael Atherton, who I'm a huge fan of, but when he was England captain, mm. because he was England captain of not a very good England team, so they were normally losing. He was ab- an absolute nightmare. It, funny when you say, Michael would admit it now, when you see how good he is as a pundit and how good he is as a commentator and how erudite he is, and Brian, you were just saying, with the time that they have in cricket now to explain it all, he could have easily, he could have easily done it. I, I have to, uh, you know, Brian, you, you would know this, having lived there for many years, he, he was a professional Mancunian when he wanted to be. He was so cussed, you know, when you tried to interview when things weren't going well but I, that, that's always part of the challenge you know that was always part of the challenge in in my job to right got to keep this interview going you know you've got to ask you know how why what questions you know that's as simple as that you know the things you teach 21 year olds who want to get into this business don't say you know did you think it was a good game you know all that sort of stuff so that would that would just uh that would just challenge you but they those Gordon Strachan and Michael Afton at his worst were probably the most difficult. Just thinking, Brian, from your point of view, did you see people, we were talking about playing roles a few minutes ago. I mean, would you see that from someone like Fergie? Would you see him in the dressing room? And then as soon as he went out there to face the media, he would he would switch. I assume he did that quite regularly. Yeah, because he, 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 was, he was methodical about things like that and he, he had a plan. He had a plan about what message he wanted to to put across, and that was his opportunity to do that. I was in a, when I was at only once. I was in a press conference when as a player. I can't remember what the reason I was there, but I was there, and you you go into the, the I think it was a post match one, and he didn't wait for people to ask him questions. He made a statement. Mm. And he made a statement about whatever he wanted to tell. And didn't, and it, might been, it might not have been about the game, but it was something he wanted to say, well, this is what you're getting. And then he might 
decide that he was going to take questions. But 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 the but then because he had the suppose being successful, you have that kind of uh, power and decision making to make that he wouldn't answer a question from if he didn't fancy whoever it was or fallen out with them or whatever else it is, if they've been allowed to be there because constantly people will get banned. He would he would make a point of going and going to the person next to them, you know, which was absolutely like, oh, it's just like it's almost humiliating. For me it was humiliating for the person it didn't matter who it was, it could have been any it could have been the it could have been a, a junior person from a, a radio station all the way up to the the, the lead sports writer of, of, of any of the broadsheets or any of the red tops, you know, you would be that kind of thing and he just he said that doesn't really matter who it is. And and I suppose part of that kind of thing is the, the same kind of thing he was doing with players. He would have an idea that I saw a phone him later if he felt like I was in this look. I didn't, I wasn't doing it. I was doing it for this reason, you know. And he always had a reason for doing it. It wasn't just arbitrary, you know. He wasn't just doing it because, wow, that was, it was to make up the, the, the person who was getting it, like Martin would say maybe, the, the person who was getting ignored, he was doing it for a reason for all the other people in the room. And not just necessarily for the people in the room. It might be the... Martin Edwards who might have been sitting next to him or David Gill or whatever there was a, always a calculation about exactly yeah. what he was doing and I've seen him going from whistling down the corridor and when I was coaching at United saying listen Gaffer could you just come in here and just give these young kids a, a flavour of your tongue you know but this is well before and I, and I, he's, and I said he's whistling down the corridor singing I'm <laughs> uh, well, not singing because it's very very bad singing but you know <laughs> the great mood singing whistling away Gaffer dude and they come and he, he just switched like that and he give them a arm like that fuck where's that come from it's just like and then came out and he went how was that was that alright and back to whistling again I'm like ah, fucking hell what a talent that is to, to I have, Brian, I heard a story yesterday from an ex-Manchester United player who told me that Alex Ferguson said to, uh, I, I won't say which it was, a, a, a senior player, that if somebody was being a bit cocky, a bit over the top, but didn't really deserve it, he would say to the senior player, you know, give him, give him a couple of really tough tackles in training. In other words, just bring him back down to earth in training. So, you know, you know, legitimately, you have my blessing to leave a couple on him in training. It's all part of it, isn't it? It's all part of just shaping. It's all part of shaping the environment in which you're working, whether it be the signal you're giving to your own players, the signal you're giving to the media. And of course, the, well, let's be honest, the signal you're giving to the media actually is the signal you're giving to your own players, aren't you? Because you're using the media to talk to your own players or in the famous Kevin Keegan, you know, the, the, you know, the, the team that you think uh, are chasing you. So it's all, it's, it's brilliantly clever. I think one of the, fa- the classics was that, of that was way before the sort of modern era was, and you'll have to remind me on the exact dates of this, Ryan, was it the 83 Scottish Cup final and Rangers, Aberdeen beat Rangers. Oh yeah, it was, yeah, it was just after the cut, it was the week, it was yeah. the game after the cup when it's cup final. And Fergie used that post-match yeah. inter- interview yeah. to yeah. absolutely lambasted, yeah, yeah. just won the final. Yeah, yeah. Talk about using that moment as a as an opportunity to. But he regrets that, Brown, doesn't he? Because in the documentary, he da- did actually say he regretted that. Film, you see that in the film because you see yeah. him in the, on the pitch and all that. Yeah. And again, that that's got part of the the, the standards he was expecting. Yeah. And and the part of it which is explains in the film about his, um, I wouldn't say 
bitterness. There's probably be more sadness of how he was treated at Rangers because it, it, it was marital situation that he married right now. That's what was came through. Right, that comes through in the film that he did. And if you look at his career at Rangers and what he did, you know. See the goals he scored. Even then, he's a goal scorer, and he scored loads of goals and the record sign and all that kind of thing. And he played in the uh, in the Scottish Cup final, and um, they got beat four 0 by Celtic. Yeah. And he was marking Billy McNeil for the first goal. But he'll tell you the reason he was marking Billy McNeil for the first goal is because the centre half went against the manager's, you know, pre-match. You you centre half, centre half. You know, yeah, getting yeah. high for height. And as much as Fergie was decent there at five foot ten, you got Billy McNeil running towards you at six foot one, and the ball's yeah. delivered that kind of way. You're going to struggle to to, to and you know, climbs above him and heads above him in the goals. And he got the he was maybe it was the man at the time used him as a an excuse for why Rangers got battered in that cup final and he left not long after that uh, so there was like anything else you also were what harm there and you analyse different things in particular him because he's always been into analysing himself and analysing performances is that when he becomes a manager and they start to do well at Aberdeen and start to win things is that he wants. He knows that he has to beat Celtic and he has to beat Rangers, and you've got to go there backyard and beat them. That was the main thing that was in the film. I think Gordon's talking about that, where they just assumed they'd go into Ibrox and Celtic Park. They're going to get beat. Gordon says that in the film for for, for a call, and he was going in this kind of thing. Got to stop this idea that you're going to lose there. You know, there was one particular game. Well, whatever else it is. And it got to that point where they were regularly beating Celtic and Rangers home and away. And because of his kind of whole idea again about the standards, is that he wanted to give them a doing in the final because he knew that they were so much better and they didn't perform and they win 1 0. And his whole kind of idea again was um, Miller McLeish saved you. The other thing about that was as well, so they won that, they won the cup, they won this cup, they won the cup. Matter who it is, you won the cup, no pleasure like that. He wouldn't let them celebrate. So they're in the dressing room, and I assume it's the same kind of thing that uh, I'm not sure it is, but I know now that they, because it's Scottish Cup's one of the oldest trophies you can you can win in, in world sport, they allow you to have the trophy set up here at the time, then take it off you and take it away to, back to the museum. I'm not quite sure if they did that then. That year, but he wouldn't no no open the champagne or nothing. He lambasted them, as I said. Miller McLeish had only to the rest of and, and and ripped them to shreds in his, in his inevitable fashion. And then all sitting there, like, what do we do? And thereafter, thereafter, uh, there cup final party was halfway home in Dundee, and they he wouldn't allow them to have anything from Glasgow to Dundee. So they've travelled in the bus. Two hours at least after the game, no nothing, not allowed to have one sip of champagne or beer or anything. Get on the fucking bus, on the bus, sitting at the front, fucking raging, and he'd have um, actually not sitting corn, yeah, but he was not having it. He was, so, he was in a foul mood from that moment until they got to Dundee. And even then, I think it was just saying, I think he he let them have their celebration, whatever. And he, you don't even know if he participated in that. Uh, but that was how how his idea of 
this is the standard. It's not, and I can understand what you kind of saying. I was trying to project that head in the head, you know, because that was that game, and immediately, even though it's the last game of the season, he's already kind of thinking about what's going to happen in the, in the next season, and he wasn't accepting it. And I used to say to people about what was it like, you know, this as well for me, from the time I went there in the '87 till till he retired when I was I was still there as a coach. He mellowed. Uh, he he mellowed to a madman. <laughs> <laughs> what he was like. <laughs> yeah. I should say to him, you know, yeah. I said, well, I'll give you credit, you know, you, you've actually calmed down to a madman now, you know. Yeah. And he'd be laughing about that, you know, and, and because he, 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 uh, he developed himself as he had to go through and deal with all these different situations that were occurring in football. Uh, and then he, he, transformed himself he recreated himself not just building new football teams along that period of time going up and down and re- but he can he, he himself was a worked out a way of how do you how do you then uh, motivate Christian yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo who's not going to understand the hairdryer for example no. Yeah. Well, that's always the question, is it? Could he, you know, no, Gary, Neville would, his got it, no. Gary Neville would have still got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Time in school, you have still got it because they did the wrong way. Oh, but Cristiano had to be involved well, there, definitely, you know. So. But he had to treat Eric, he did treat Eric Cantona differently, yeah, didn't he? As much as you like to think you can treat all the people the same, particularly in sport, and, even, and I think if you go back and analyze what you were doing as a captain, you will have players that you think are more influential than others for whatever reason, and sometimes you might treat them a bit differently. With that, there's a pressure and expectation on the player that they have to deliver what you think they can do. And then that, that's where it comes from when you get special players like Cantona, like special players like Cristiano Ronaldo, for example. And um, there's a great kind of anecdote about that. Someone who's telling me, I think it might be Walter Smith, uh, that um, he was fortunate enough to be in a conversation or a, a situation with with um, Don Shula, who was the Miami Dolphins coach, great coach of Miami Dolphins, and he was he were talking. And Walter was asking about, "What do you do? They've got eighty-eight players. How do you how do you manage these eighty-eight players?" And I know they've got all these different coaches there and different things, but how do you manage these ATA players? He says, well, it's the same kind of thing. It's just that the, the, as much as you want to be treating them all, so you can't treat them all the same. He says, oh, I'll tell you the situation. This is that the day before the game on the Sunday, he says, I get them all in and I'm going, I'm going to do my team talk. And then they'll split into different areas and the defence coach attack, whatever else will do there a little bit. But this is for me the critical thing and I demand complete attention when they come into that kind of room. So then it's a lecture theatre they have in these places, isn't it, now? So the 88 players in there and all the staff and all that kind of thing, and he's delivering his keynote pre-game speech that they all need to listen to. And a linebacker falls asleep, or he's falling asleep, you can see him nodding off and nodding, and he, and he f- nods off and sleeping, he stops his talk, and he shouts the guy's name and he wakes up and he turns around to the whoever was responsible, whatever coach was responsible up to the player and goes, um, uh, he's never going to play for us again. You take him out here and and the, the guy had to leave the room and that was him done, gone. 
he says, this is a different situation. This is the same situation, but how you treat things differently because of what you're looking at. Your star quarterback, Dan Marino, he's sitting in the front row. He's here looking and he's doing, he's kind of nodding away. You know, and, and and he says, what you do is, well, what I did, he says, an idea of what it is. He says that I'm still talking. So he's mic talk. He walks off his platform, walks to the front of the, and he nudges, nudges his star quarterback and says, hey, just stay with me for another five minutes because he's the one that's going to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not just the next day, but potentially the Super Bowl, which there was. And that's his explanation is that as much as you want to treat them all the same, he won't. And you learn that as you go through. And, 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 that, and, and that's why when you turned up to your parades, you were in your best suits, weren't you? And Cantona was in flip-flops and a blazer, wasn't he? And a white T-shirt or whatever. But there was an argument to say that Brian was one of the one of the uh, favoured sons of that team as well. I couldn't confirm or deny that, but that's what I heard, Brian, that you were looked upon as you know, rather more favoured. I didn't. There was the, yeah. But again, you, you, when you're doing things like... The expectation then, so he, so so if he's treating Eric Cantona differently, our expectations is that he's going to make a difference yeah. in the game. Yeah. He has to make a difference in the game, make a difference a lot bit in training, but in the game, to accept that he's going to be treated differently. And and you do because that's what happened. You will treat the, these players differently because they are game changers. And as long as they're game changers, they'll gain the, the respect of of their teammates, when that that fades, that's when it all kind of crumbles. That's when again the manager's got to change things around. I either change the people who are who are the supporting cast or change the the star act. I mean, Mark, you'll obviously be involved in the coverage of the upcoming World Cup in Qatar. Um, without putting you too much on the spot. I mean, what are your thoughts on the many controversies of the uh, Qatar hosting the tournament and probably more so the disruption it will cause to the footballing calendar this year? Well, we, 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 well, the, the calendar, I mean, it's going to be a season like no other. And I think the frustration for everybody is even, even when Qatar won it, everyone knew, well, you can't play in the summer. I mean, you know, you just cannot play in the summer. I've had friends who've lived there and they were like, this is ridiculous. You cannot play. It's 55 degrees. You know, you, you put players' health at risk. I, I was at... Um, I was at Goodwood the other day, the racing, and uh, it's sponsored by the Qataris. And I was invited by a friend in a box, which was very nice. And in the box was the, was one of the chaps who runs the organising committee. And actually I had 20 minutes with, with him, with me, Rob Harris, who is the Sky newsman, and Sean Custis, who runs the Sun Sports Desk. And it was a really interesting 20 minutes. And he said, you know, ask me anything you want. So, you know, we went, we went through the card in the way that any of you or anybody listening would do, you know, about human rights and workers' rights and, and, and LB, uh, t- you know, uh, you know, lesbian and gay rights and, and, and everything. And it, and, it, and it was, you know, it was, it was really interesting. It was one of those, and you're thinking, he's speaking really well here. He's a PR man. He's had 12 years at this. This is, on the one hand, sounds quite convincing, but you just don't know. Do you know what I mean? You, you just don't know whether it's just very, very convincing or whether you're just being sold the story that they want you to believe. Um, 
which and I think we're all the same. We're all the same boat, aren't we? And when the World Cup starts, I think you know we we have a we're having a discussion already at ITV about you know how we deal with the reality that we need to we we need to talk about this early in the program. So the fact that it is in Qatar that uh, that it has been controversial that all these that all these rights are something that we need to address. But then there's the thing after that about how often do you do that? Do you want to you know when people tune in on day three or day four of the football and we're getting into it, there are three or four games a day. You know how often do people not want to be lectured? That's not right. But you know the weather's lousy and it'll be you know late November. Do they just want to be hearing about the football then? I mean we have a response. We've got a responsibility on both on both sides to get that right. Yeah, as all the media do. As all the media do. It's a place you've been to, Brian, isn't it? Have you been on the running pre-season tours? Um, what, what do, you, do, you, do you think? It, uh, personally, I think I think they'll go out of their way to put on the best show they can. Yeah, I've heard people say the same thing to you, Mark. As I, uh, people have told me the same thing. They're they're very conscious of what people are thinking, and I think whether it they are very conscious. Yeah. I th- don't know whether it will make any difference in the long run, but for the purpose of this few months leading up to the World Cup, I think they'll be very conscious of, of what they do. But um, I. The, 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 the irony is, if if irony is the right word, before the Russian World Cup, I yeah. said to my son, who was then 20, 20, I said, you're not coming, it's far too dangerous. Within a week, I rang him and said, it's absolutely fine. It was a great World Cup. Yeah. Now, you look back on it, you think, well, it was a great World Cup because Putin told them all to behave. Otherwise, you know, they're for the yeah. high jump, which is yeah. probably the truth. But <laughs> like everything in life, you know, it's messed up by politicians, isn't it? Yeah. And my son went on a overnight train from Moscow to Samara, where England played the quarterfinal against Sweden. And he texted me. I said, "How's how? he was in a you know a four sleeper bunk with his mate Harry?" And I said, "How is it?" And he went. Daddy said, there's a babushka in here, you know, a Russian granny with her two kids and she's feeding us gherkins and sausages and we're playing Monopoly and we're drinking neat vodka and we're having a brilliant time. We're having a fabulous time. And it's, you sometimes don't think, don't you? There's nothing, people are good by and large. It's just the people at the top who are, who are messing it all up. Well, I was going to mention that. I mean, I know it's difficult now. It's in what's happened uh, since. But I remember the the sort of outcry when Russia got the World Cup, which I thought was pretty patronizing. And I thought Russia's got a great history in world football. And I'd been to Russia and I loved it. And I had a very similar experience in places like St. Petersburg, which is a brilliant city. So I, I didn't like that outcry. Um, when Russia was awarded the World Cup, because I thought they had every, every right to. I know subsequently Russia isn't as popular as it was, but I think no. it will be the same kind of thing. I think it will be everything you see will be great. I think the football will be great. I think the stadiums yeah. will be great. Obviously, there's a you know there's another argument you can have. But in terms of yeah. what you see when they go there and what they'll experience, I think I'd be I think surprised. I think you're right, Matthew. I mean, and as I say, from the 20 minutes I had that day, um, you know, last month a good one. I mean, they they you know they know the world's watching. You know, they. they you can you can call it sports washing, which you know that's absolutely fine. But they know that what they know the world is watching, and they will want to put on the best possible face. Now, what's going on underneath? Scratch away at the surface. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we won't. You won't see. I mean, you could if you if if you're an investigative reporter and you want to try and find it, as people do, that's absolutely fine. But clearly, you're not going to see it. But we're all guilty of that, though, aren't we? We're all guilty of sort of going along with things that we quite like. And if you don't delve into the background of anything, any sure. country, any business, you could say, well, you shouldn't be going there and you shouldn't be doing that. But I I'm suppose- not sure. Where, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I'm not sure we're completely, you know, we're completely clean in our own country, are we, given our own history in the last 50 years, necessarily? Yeah. One last thing I wanted to touch on, Mark, before we go on the mailbag, and, and don't get this the wrong way. You know, I know we're talking about politics, we've spoken about politics and, and what have you. And I don't mean this in a crass way, but I was reading that your grandfather, was it, came from Ukraine? Yeah. Just, yeah. just wonder yeah. How, what the story was there with 
So, uh, and actually, I've always been incredibly, way before Putin's thuggery, I've always been incredibly proud of of that because, you know, I have a surname, which is which is properly unique in the UK. There's no one else with our surname. So um, he, my grandfather, so his family were, were, were Jewish um, cabinet makers. Uh, so he was born in Ukraine. He was born in a place called Zhitomir, which is about uh, two hours west of Kiev. And I've been, I've been there, found where he was born. But um, because because they were Jewish and it was the pogroms, you know, in the late uh, 1800s and, you know, the Cossacks would come around and beat up the Jews for a bit of sport. Uh, my great-grandfather was obviously quite, you know, quite smart and, and, and said, right, <clears throat> this is no life for my family. I mean, goodness knows how they got out. I'm trying to sort of find out physically how they got out but they they got themselves to paris i think actually my great-grandfather went first and my grandfather who'd just been born and his mum then joined them in paris and they lived in paris for about uh about 10 11 12 years until the middle of i think around the time of the first world war and then they moved to london i mean sadly my own dad died 30 years ago so i, I it's a bit sketchy what i've managed to to find out but yeah i mean I, as i say i've always been very proud of my ukrainian roots and yeah, I've listened to, you know, obviously, like we all have listened to a lot of the news, but I've listened to a lot of podcasts and it's a brilliant histor- historical podcast just talking about why, you know, why the Ukrainians are not Russian and they're really not Russian. And I often I often think it's, we, we've talked about them already, and I often think it's like me sort of turning around to Roy and going, well, you're, you're British really, Roy, aren't you? Well, no, you know, the uh, uh, you know, like the Scotland as well, you know, we're very close, Ireland, Scot- uh, Scots, Welsh, but we're not the same, you know, and Ukrainians and Russians have obviously got a lot that's interlinked, but they're not the same people. So it's, it's um, you know, I've got all, I mean, all here in my study at home, all pictures of my great grandfather. And I look at him and my grandfather, I didn't know my grandfather, sadly, I think, you know, what 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 you know they must be thinking now you know this this appalling just deni- denial of who they, it's a denial of who they are i mean it, it's as simple as that isn't it from the russians i'd love to actually see you ask roy Keane that question on yeah yeah just say roy listen you're just from, you, let's face it you're from haywards heath really aren't you that's what it is <laughs> Uh, before we go on to the mailbag, any other business? I mean, it's a roundtable. Yeah. Anything that you ever want to uh, ask Brian, or have you ever ever wanted to? Well, I, I, you know, I, I just, I, I, I mean, obviously the. Well, it's I'm, well, I'm going to Celtic this. By the time this is out, you know, I may well have been there. So I'm going to the Celtic Real Madrid match tomorrow night for work, which will be. I have been to. I've been to a European game before, actually, at Celtic Park. It's. It's. How. How would you compare that? that atmosphere with what we are so used to in England with Old Trafford and Anfield and so forth? Well, because of circumstances last season, there was a rare occasion where the old film game was a a night time at Celtic Park. And it's the best atmosphere I've been at a game as a supporter. So I think you'll find tomorrow night the the atmosphere, certainly before the game and all that kind of thing, because it depends on um, how the players perform and how the amateur perform, but the, the, the whole kind of idea of being there for me. And the, the reason why, and it was quite funny with you, your message the other day, Matthew, but the, the Derby game with being at Everton. Yeah. We were, in, we were in Liverpool. We were in Liverpool last Derby game. Liverpool in the last season. And, when uh, there was, there was, we were going for breakfast, weren't we? And there was so many people wearing Liverpool stuff and from all over the world, really. And uh, 
and you were saying on Saturday there wasn't anybody, you know. Notoriously, I, I didn't. There a few people that were wearing uh, anything, you know, on Saturday yeah. If, if Liverpool are at home, it's very much, and I and I'm not saying this isn't a dig at Liverpool. So I'm sure it's the same with United. Um, if Liverpool are at home, the, the percentage of replica shirts on the streets of match day for a derby game is about ninety five percent. If it's at, at Goodison, you don't really see it because it's just you know you don't have that kind of football tourism. Everton, yeah. At, yeah. at the minute, they don't. At, so for me, they might, will do further down the line. But, yeah. but you're, you're a national fan, aren't you, man? Yeah. Yeah. So whatever you go to the stadium, when it's people who are localish or whatever and can't get to the games or whatever, same kind of thing. For me, the atmosphere of those games, it's Old Trafford, Anfield, um, Arsenal. When you go to Celtic and probably Rangers as well, is that it's all people who are Celtic, Daft, yeah. so 63rd part from whatever the, the, the Real Madrid fans are allowed. And it is their thing of their identity of that particular day. I was at the old firm game on at the weekend and it's all about the day, the occasion. And for me, the atmosphere there is, I mean, that just not, not, not. I think Messi, Messi said that, didn't he? He played a, group stage game then, didn't he, about yeah. seven, eight years ago, yeah. didn't he? And he said it was pretty much the best, didn't he, atmosphere? And the game I did go to was the Juventus game. That must have been... How was that again? Six, seven years ago. Do you remember? It, it, funny enough, with the whole bonfire of VAR this weekend, I said to somebody uh, I was working with yesterday, I said, actually, I can tell you a game where I really did need VAR, because you remember... Every single corner that Celtic got, I presume it was Bonucci and Chiellini, just grappled, held, wrestled, pulled over. And you were thinking, actually, this is a, this is a nightmare. But I, I, I remember the atmosphere so clearly then. I really do. Yeah, well, tomorrow night it'll be... Yeah. What, what rung true with me was I watched... I was in Glasgow for... I wasn't there for the game, but I was there a few months ago when there was an old firm game on. And I got a hotel room for about 80 quid. And I said to Brian, I, met, I think I said to you on the phone... <laughs> how the hell have I got a hotel room in the centre yeah. of Glasgow for 80 quid? And he said, well, because we don't have, you know, you've got football tourists you, yeah, you know, yeah. outside of Glasgow, but it's not no. the same as it is in the Premier League. It's it's still not at that level. Whereas if you try and get a hotel room in Manchester or Liverpool when they're playing at home, you're paying 300 quid. Yeah. Also, that's but interestingly, the- but it's, sorry, Mark, but interestingly, I know that when I'm at Anfield for a Champions League game, it's a very different crowd to a Premier yeah, League game at the weekend. They're, the, they're local, yeah, because yeah, I mean, they're I local. Know. And actually, the stewards always say to me, different tonight, isn't it? I go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah because so it's different different tonight. Tonight. And I've got yeah. no issue with out-of-town fans no. at all. But they're, they're, those are the guys that, are, if they're playing at the weekend, they can book flights, they can yeah. get hotels. But living in the city, I know when there's a Champions League game on, people will say, I've got a ticket tonight, I've got one, I've got a spare. Do you know anyone that wants Yeah. It's not, not a lot, but the no. more chance of that because you get tickets come up because you don't have that influx yeah. of, uh, of people coming in. But, yeah, yeah. You know, that, and I've got no issue with that because I've done it myself and it will happen. It will probably happen to Everton in 10 years sure. time when they're in that new stadium and they're, you know, if they're not marked yeah. in the third division. It's the first mailbag of the new season, so I've got high hopes, Matthew. What have you got for Chucky and Mark? Um, well, I'm just I'm opening this letter as we speak, so I haven't read this one before. Um, and, it's a, uh, and this isn't a question, actually. Andrew Sheik uh, wanted to say that when he said to his chemistry teacher at school that he wanted to be a footballer, and he and the chemistry teacher told him that all footballers are thick, he said, no, they're not. Brian, Brian McClare is clever, and his teacher laughed. And I'm thinking, have you... you <laughs> 
Is his teacher yeah, Alex you, Ferguson? <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, you, you must have got that in the past, Brian. I mean, you, you're known as this sort of uh, professor of football. Uh, just because you passed the exams. That's, yeah, I think that's all that. That's that's the only right. like, yeah. When you go to school, you, you you learn how to pass exams. Certainly when I was at school, there wasn't, so there wasn't uh, continuous um, looking at what you did week in, week out. You learned how to pass exams. And uh, I, I got good at passing exams in some subjects. Of which none of which have been of any benefit <laughs> to me whatsoever, you know. So, but I was encouraged because my parents, as I said many times before, that the thing about their and their fallback because of their experiences of life and everything else and, and sport at that particular time, football, which was slightly more physical than um, Ericsson and Odegaard's confrontation yesterday <laughs> could actually be <laughs> you know so they were always telling me about you know and you know encouraging the rest of Scotland you know the rest of Scotland got a very kind of thing about this it's, in some ways you can look at it be negative uh, in a sense but sometimes it's just about uh, trying to get you to understand that sometimes life can be shit right? yeah. so they're sending me well we can break your leg tomorrow yeah. you know so it's like 13 going to play a game on a Sunday afternoon you better you can break your leg tomorrow you better get homework done you know wasn't she saying that to you when you were about 30 <laughs> uh, no I don't think she still doesn't think she believes that I've actually played football and all that kind of thing you know so what was your what was your career path, Mark? I don't know. We don't know. Was it, was it was a dream to to yeah, yeah. sports broadcasting. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, I was playing cricket in the garden with my dad. As I said, he was cricket nut, and the, the cricket was on the radio. And I said to him, "It's about twelve thirty And I said, "Are these people being paid to sit at the test match and eat chocolate cake and watch cricket?" And, you know, and he went, "Yeah, but that, that can't be a job." So I think once it became pretty apparent I wasn't going to play up front for England or open the batting for England, I thought, well, "Let's go for it." And I, I, I know there's sometimes a bit of a, I think actually increasingly less so, which is great. But when I was in my early twenties, there was a bit of not a mystique about doing my job, but it was a bit like that's a bit weird and a bit left field because we didn't have multiplicity of TV. It was before Sky. We didn't have multiplicity of radio, so it was a bit. I wouldn't say it's a bit harder, but there weren't as many places to go and work. So I just started at the bottom. Literally, I went and started at the bottom working in local radio and worked my way up. I mean, it's a very, it's a very obvious analogy. You know, you go play for Macclesfield and hope one day that Man United Reserves want to sign you. So you start at the bottom and then just slowly work your way up. I think the, the great thing for the you know, boys and girls coming into it now, age 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, is there's so many ways of getting into it because you can start your own podcast and you can work for local, uh, you know, football clubs in TV and radio departments or whatever. So it's, and it, and it's around all the time. I mean, it wasn't, you know, when I was starting and Brian was playing, there wasn't, there was nothing like as much of it, especially not in the eighties. I mean, there really wasn't, as we've discussed, it wasn't even live most of the time. So um, it, it, it now it's now part of the conversation, and the media, sports media is totally part of the conversation the way that it wasn't thirty years ago, which I think is great because it means that they can, that, you know, young boys and girls can think they can get into it. Yeah. So here's a question, a mailbag question from me: Have you, Is there anything left on your broadcasting bucket list? Yeah, um, you know, working with Brian McClay, maybe. Yeah, that as well. What the, yeah, I, I tell you, the one thing I've never done. I'm very lucky. I think certainly in the sporting sense, I've done pretty much everything. I'd like to go on a Lions tour. 
I'd like to go on a British and Irish Lions tour, particularly to New Zealand, actually. I've been, I've been to Australia lots of times and I've been to South Africa. I've been to New Zealand, but I, partic- I'm, I, I would particularly like to go there because it's because of the what, what rugby means to New Zealand in particular. I think that would be really interesting. I think that would be the one thing I haven't done. You know, I've done world title fights, which has been incredible, and Ryder Cups and Olympics and all those, and I want to carry on doing them. I mean, I suppose the other answer to that is just, just to carry on doing it and be relevant. I think think that's the one thing I've learned which is quite you know to stay relevant is is really important you know you can't do anything about getting older <laughs> there's nothing you can do about that but you can make sure that you stay relevant and that you stay without you know without up to date meaning as in what everybody is talking about and how everybody is uh, you know consuming sport and consuming news and so forth have you got a bucket list, Brian? Because obviously a lot of your years would have been spent playing. I mean, now you've oh, got well, time on your hands. Steal that one. What? The one that Mark's just said. I think it was. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Your Doe Lions tour, yeah. Yeah. Because well, I mean, you've obviously been fortunate to, to travel, but but it's different, I suppose. Now you've got time. You've got you, you're not obviously when you're playing, it's different because you you've got different constraints. But now you could you know pretty much do do what you want. So you do you do a Lions tour, yeah. I don't just when they, when they mentioned that there about um was fortunate enough to go to see the All Blacks playing in Ireland a couple of years ago when the Ireland beat them in Dublin, which was just yeah. incredible. To, to, I mean, yeah, I've always liked the same kind of thing, but I like watching that and that kind of thing. Probably the, probably the best I'd seen and in, in probably the best ever I've seen was the New Zealand so South Africa where they had to score in the last minute in the uh, Southern Championship and the, oh yes yeah 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 oh yeah yeah yes yeah in yeah. South Africa had to yeah. win the yeah. and they managed to achieve that kind of thing that was yeah. well, that that was probably one of the best for me All Blacks teams that that ever existed and at the end of it when they scored it all just yeah down on the pitch. Can't even celebrate, yeah, because of the effort they've put into achieving. They're probably unachievable, really. Uh, for me, was and and what I like about I like a lot of things about I like the kind of idea because it's sort of thing that even before I, even before I knew that they, they used to sweep the sheds. Yeah, that's what I used to do when I first started coaching. I used to clean the dress them. You did, did you? Yeah. Away games. Whenever we went away, when I was in the reserves of the youth team, we would leave the we would leave the dressing room impeccable. Yeah. So that when the, anybody came in, they thought, and then loads of people, and loads of the because usually kids that come in to clean it, young players and all that, yeah. they go, nobody's ever done this before. Yeah, it's really it's really striking, that isn't it? It's really striking. You know, it's like leaving leaving leave the shirt better than you found it, sort of stuff, isn't it? You yeah. know, in a way. Yeah. So, and I've always liked the idea of you know, even even when they're winning, they're, they're still trying to score yeah. in the last minute. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that's something that's like we are not just really good; we're going to be really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a bit of transitional period, but we'll see what happens yeah. in the next World Cup. But yeah. So that's Brian and Mark off to New Zealand together for a lunch. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say Masters in Augusta, which I dare say you've probably been to, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know the, best, the best thing about that, I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's also, it's quite unusual. 
Once you're there, it's very affordable. And I know you might think, and it's really, they do not screw you for, you know, a hamburger and a, you know, when you're on the course, it's really very affordable. Now that's, no, that is great. I mean, obviously. Someone that was at the BMW championship the other week, uh, (laughs) paying paying $35 for two drinks. And I'd appreciate that. Um, Finally, um, obviously regular listeners to the show will know, know the name Cumbrian Dave, who always sends his question into Brian and our guest father mailbag. So rather than us reading them out this time, we thought we'd get Dave on to do them, do them himself. Uh, so here he is. Here's Cumbrian Dave. Hello, guys. Hope you're doing well. Cumbrian Dave here with a couple of questions. Uh, firstly, for Mark, which deceased sports person is the one you'd have loved to interview in your career? Uh, one for Chockey. Uh, Celtic are doing quite well at the moment. So what do you think that their chances are of uh, qualifying outside the uh, European group stage this year? Thanks, guys. Have a good one. I think Don Bradman, because for, for two reasons. One, because clearly no one is ever going to have a batting average like that again. 99.94, I think it was. And people who know cricket would know, and those who don't, if he'd made six in his last innings at the Oval, he would have averaged 100 in Test cricket and he was bowled out for naught. And people said, was he, did he have tears in his eyes because England gave him a rousing reception? But also, because you, you talked about my grandfather, and I've got a politics degree. I'm genuinely fascinated by politics. Also, Australia being the country it is, um, no one had really ever heard of Australia until Don Bradman. So I'm just really interested about the fact that, in, in a way, his exploits, particularly within the old colonial empire, I suppose, as it was, made everybody go, well, that's, you know, they knew about Australia after what Don Bradman did. That was a hell of a lot of weight to carry for the for the rest of his life. But there is a thing, I, I've, I've just been part of a production company, which I own, where we've just made a film uh, on the FIFA, uh, new FIFA site, which is free. He says a bit of a plug, but it's about the Croatian team, which came third in the World Cup in 1998, which came obviously out of the Balkan War of the 1990s. And there is this thing about sport can a sporting success can make the world take notice of a country that it hasn't heard of before. And so Don Brabant very much did that with Australia, as I say, particularly through the English-speaking world to start with, and Croatia did that with the Boban Suka team and Brown would have played against them in 1998. So I just think, you know, my dad used to call me Brabant as a bit of a joke. I think he, I, I offered that, I think he thought if he called me Brabant often enough, I might bat like him. That was the way, that was the way I looked at it. So I'd love to, you know, Don Brabant with all those extraordinary records, that average and the fact that, you know, he, he was Australia for so long. If you could dig, uh, dig anyone up from the grave, Brian, who would you have? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, I, I would say, and I'm knowing you, uh, and I'm not sure you've ever known it, met him, but I'd say Socrates would, might be on there as well. Yeah, uh, so clear, so. Yeah, seeing as you yeah. Uh, yeah. But Galencia, no, Galencia, he's, he's, he's a lot of bits and pieces I've read about him, just incredible, really. Did he was did he play fifty eight and sixty two? It was that team, wasn't it? Yeah, he played. He yeah, played, and, he, and the funny thing about it for me is, I didn't. Well, that's the history of football and different things. Is that Garencia's revered in Brazil? Yeah, Pele isn't. Is, is that because he was a man of the people? Because he was the, the way that they thought that you should live your life as a person, being really good. Drinking, womanizing. <laughs> just think of you. Just think of you being Brazilian. <laughs> That's what it was, you know. Yeah. That, that thing that the Pele in in Brazil isn't yeah. revealed like Garincia. No. Yeah. 
You know, so if you, pay, if you speak to people, oh, it was the kind of thing about then. Oh, yeah, of course, that there was Grinch. It was the one that of a particular age, you'll say. And you're you're not off the hook, Brian, because obviously you heard there. Cumbrian Dave's got a question for you, slightly topical, considering what we've spoken about. But he says um, Celtic have enjoyed a good start to the seasons. So, what do you think their chances are of progressing in Europe this season? And this is something I've spoken to you about in the past about how well, Celtic need to kick on and start doing stuff in Europe rather. Well, than- yeah, there's, there's always that kind of thing. But, but, but when you get, when you I'm listening to the draw, so we get to the point where uh, for both Celtic and Rangers, they, they could in. Um, the the group that's got uh, Barcelona, Juventus, I think, is it? Barcelona. Yeah, it's a group of death, isn't it? Yeah, it's a group. Anyway, they both look at the Is it Barcelona, Bayern, Juve? Yeah. Is it that one? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping because of my allegiances, the Rangers are going to be. Which, in different ways, like, yeah. oh, they've got three cracking home yeah. games. Yeah, no, see, anyway. So, uh, when you when you get the the draw that the Celtic got, it's quite clear that um, you you've got to try and win your home games and maybe get something away. Getting Real Madrid as the first game at home is maybe the best you could hope for. You know, particularly after the weekend, early on in the season for both teams. That uh, yeah, yeah, I think Celtic have got a chance. But as a bigger picture, a bigger picture generally, I think I think I've spoken to you this about this before. But I think Celtic do need to start, whether it's the Champions League or they get to the Europa League, a club of that size. There's no excuse. Really. I think the, oh well, that is excuses about it because if you if you look at the the budget that Celtic have got compared to the budget that Brighton have got, I think you can say it's an excuse. Well, yeah, in fairness. I I just think there's been teams that have progressed in the Champions League and Europa League further than Celtic that you could claim were not as big a clubs. But then I suppose you could argue they probably got more money, despite the name. There's a possibility of that, yeah. So a lot of the things is the same thing, that Mark will be hoping that with regards to been involved in the World Cup in, in the winter, the ITV's budget is going to allow him to be able to do his job to the best he can. Not that he needs to have a you know, conditioned room and all that kind of thing, you know, and silver service and all that kind of thing. But with regards to that, the question popped in my head where's the best place you've commentated from? Just for atmosphere, history, nostalgia. I, I did. I did. Although it was falling down, I did love the old Maracanã. It was, it it was, was just after America. your just after your day. It was the infamous World Club Championship. No, yes, it was just you just left. I, think, was, uh, yeah, when, I, I, I went to Maracanã yeah, after yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and and it literally swayed. <laughs> literally, I mean, you thought, how does this stand up? But you know, you just mentioned Garincha. You just you felt sort of Garincha and Pele and Sostow and everybody there. You know, Carlos Alberto. That was that was phenomenal. I mean, the new the new grounds are incredible, but there is something there was something about those. And actually, I was there last season. The San Siro is still phenomenal. Yeah, isn't it? it really? I mean, it looks amazing from the outside. It's a, you know, it's crumbling a bit, which is why they're going to knock it down, and that will be sad. So I think the the San Siro, the San Siro in the winter. And uh, and the American are. 
And with that, it's time to draw the curtains on this episode by saying a huge thanks to Mark Bugatch for being such a great guest. Uh, good luck with uh, the rest of the season, Mark. Uh, and of course, um, don't forget to try and grab a beer at the World Cup while you're there. I will do. Thank you for having me. been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mark. Brian and Matthew, it's been good to get back on the horse again with you both. Thank you very much. Yeah, good to be back. Mark. Thanks, Mark. And Thanks, uh, here's to the next one. And as ever, thank you for tuning in to Life with Brian. Please do come back next time or go through any episode you've missed before by finding us wherever you get your podcasts. At Brian McClare Pod is both the Twitter and Instagram, so check us out there. So until next time, take care. Life with Brian, talking films or music. Life with Brian, talking TV and food. Life with Brian, talking trivia and exercise. Life with Brian, it's different every episode. Life with Brian, talking politics and football. Life with Brian, it's different every episode. Life with Brian, life with Brian. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.